Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch new episodes of Grey's Anatomy Thursdays at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello everyone, welcome to the latest edition of the Royal Blue Podcast as we preview Everton's crunch Premier League fixture at uh, West Ham United uh, tomorrow. I'm your host, Chris Beasley, joined by our Everton correspondent, Joe Thomas, um, the Echo's Paul Wheelock and regular guest, Gavin Buckland. Uh, we didn't have Joe with us um, early in the week, so I'll come to, to him first. Um, Joe, um, how has the week been for you in, in terms of the, the fallout of um, the, the tumultuous events of, of last weekend? Yeah, thanks, Chris. I think um, you know, it, it's, it's been a difficult week, I think, as probably most people listening to this can, could guess, you know, both personally and professionally. Um, now I wasn't on, I wasn't available on, on Monday to do the the last Royal Blue uh, podcast. So we didn't discuss the, the headlock allegation on them because it wouldn't really have been right for anybody else other than myself to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I was unavailable at the time because I was actually kind of pursuing inquiries with Merseyside Police and with Everton just to, to carry on from, from those that were started at the, at the weekend. But um, you know, clearly, you know, I think everyone can see it's 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 been an extraordinary couple of days. So, what would probably help is is maybe for for some people um, would be if I kind of talk through what happened on on Saturday uh, and how it played out, and and you know, people can kind of judge my actions and my reporting, you know, as they see fit. I you know, I, I completely understand that if people want to kind of um, you know be, be critical of me or apply scrutiny to me, that's that's completely fair enough. Um, but to explain kind of where it went from, from our perspective was, was essentially, you know, I was walking to the ground on, on Saturday um, when the, the club statement dropped that said that the directors um, had been advised not to attend the game because of their own security uh, concerns. Um, obviously, that was an ex- extraordinary moment in itself. You know, I've, I've never known of anything like that um, before and, and certainly wasn't anticipating it either. You know, this is something that blindsided me just like it, it did every everybody else mm. now obviously the club put that statement out on the record and and we like everybody else reported it although obviously we you know made clear in our report and it was the club that was saying um this and, and this was where the information came from didn't attribute it to anybody else um because at the time we weren't sure what other conversations had had and who they were liaising with and whether they were liaising with Merseyside police or not over over these matters um, you know, there were a couple of lines within that statement that, that stood out, you know, in particular, the one that suggested, well, didn't suggest, it said that there'd been targeted acts of, you know, targeted acts of physical aggression towards members of the board. Um, again, you know, that was a, a staggering claim to read and something that, you know, was, you know, it, it stood out within everything else. And, and the obvious question that I think myself and probably pretty much every other journalist who was who's reporting on the game or who had received the statement or was aware of it you know the obvious question to ask was well, well what what are these acts what are these incidents um you know as i think is, is clear now um so, so probably everybody that's followed this you know the club's response was 
and we, we say say club sources and, and things like that. Obviously, it's you know it's come from people at the club. In in response to that question, they they raised incidents, obviously including death threats that had been sent to senior figures um, that they said, and, and also you know incidents around you know they they talked about an alleged incident in which uh, this chief executive Denise Barrett Baxendale's you know, car had been surrounded and spat at, and, and one or two others, but the most yeah, the, the 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 probably the most extraordinary example that that they provided that they provided and were, you know, obviously content with being reported was the allegation that that you know, Professor Barrett Baxendale been been placed in a headlock at a game. Mm-hmm. Um, now, you know, when you receive information like that, obviously you know you, you're surprised and you know it's it's an incredibly serious allegation. Um, you know, it was proactively put out there. And you know, so my job as a reporter is first, you know, ask the questions as to, as, as to what happened, uh, and then to kind of work out what to do next. Now, bearing in mind the club had already put out on the record that there'd been these physical acts, you know, really the, the bridge had already been crossed. That they'd already said that these incidents had happened, um, and the alleged headlock was was obviously part of that. Now, one of the criticisms that I've had kind of from people since then is the idea of, you know, did you demand to see the evidence? Did you not ask further questions? I did ask further questions. Um, In terms of asking to see things like CCTV, it's not always quite as straightforward as that. And that's not always, you know, being able to see things like that isn't something you'd necessarily expect. There is a degree of journalism, whether, whether people agree with this or not, that it's effectively kind of, runs on, on 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 good faith in in your sources now you don't automatically give people the benefit of the doubt and things like that that's built over you know you build up trust and credibility and you view the scenario in which that person's telling you this and you know when they tell you something like this obviously it's an incredibly shocking allegation mm-hmm. but it, you know it's, it's something that you work on the basis that the club and the people that are saying this wouldn't relay this information if it didn't stand up to further scrutiny because surely you know if you were you know they know or they should know that you're going to ask further questions about this and therefore you know if it all falls apart it's their credibility that that gets blown up it's that relationship that gets torn to torn to shreds you know there's you know the 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 cost simply simply that the cost of them you know being seen to have potentially misled or, or anything like that or telling so, you know, of, uh, someone's in, their, in that position telling you something wrong is so severe that you know it's implausible really that that they would do something like that and then not be able to kind of answer further questions around it obviously at the time other reporters were being told similar stuff in relation to the headlock allegation and, and lots of different outlets reported it all around the same time including myself now you know, it's a serious allegation and, you know, the idea that, that someone like Professor Barrett-Baxton, you know, senior female, you know, official at the club could be potentially subjected to something like that in a place of work is, is obviously, you know, of, of concern. Um, and given the, the statement had already gone out on the record, you know, I felt it was a reasonable thing to report. It's obviously my job to try and gather information and, and, and yes, kind of, hold it up to scrutiny, but also kind of, you know, provide it and, and, and get it out there where, where I see fit. And um, so, you know, I wrote, I wrote a story based on, on, on what I'd been told. Um, 
and just to make clear, you know, it, uh, never reported as fact, always said that this was an allegation. It was always presented as an allegation and it was always attributed to the club. So, you know, the, because you do, you know, by doing that, what you, you do is, well, you know, I know that I'm going to apply further scrutiny to it and everybody can see what's being said, where it's come from. And if it then falls apart or if, if, if questions, further questions then emerge, well, obviously, you know, it, it's at the, it's at the, the club's detriment, essentially. Um, and, you know, people can make their own mind up from there. Now, I continued to ask questions throughout the day. I went to the Merseyside Police immediately to ask them about, not just about the, the alleged headlock incident, but also about the, the wider um, safety concerns and was told that they were liaising with the club at, at, at that point. Um, and then, you know, obviously, you know, the game then happened and everything that, that, that came with it. No, I, I continue to ask questions throughout Saturday night of the club um, and, and to chase the police. And then on, on Sunday, Sunday lunchtime, I submitted a list of questions to, to the club that I thought were particularly pertinent. I thought needed needed answering and which I'm, I'm honest, I, I didn't think were controversial or would have any problems. You know, clarification over which game it was, whether any internal action had been been taken, any internal investigation you know, asking for more detail about the alleged threats to, you know, that come through on email to, to people like um, Bill Kenwright. Uh, and, and and basically just just trying to get to the bottom of what happened. And we didn't follow those through on Sunday. It was on Monday that, that kind of everything came to a head when, you know, I then kind of carried on to pursue Merseyside Police. And the statement the Merseyside Police put out in, in which they confirmed that, you know, the security intelligence hadn't come from the, the police. It had come from, from Everton. They weren't aware of that or any other instance. I mean, that was essentially put together based on the questions that I'd been pursuing them over, over the, over the days before then. Um, and I was also obviously following this up with the club and, and having discussions with the club again, to ask what I thought were, were straightforward and, and reasonable questions that I thought would surely be easy to answer. Now, Unfortunately, on you know, obviously from from my perspective, you know, with the club, the club then decided to having you know put this out there, you know, themselves. They then decided to say that they weren't going to release any further detail, and obviously later on Monday night released a statement that said that they did not wish to comment any further on this. And obviously, that's a, a staggering position to have taken, considering the severity of, of, of what they had put out there or what they had been happy to put out there. Um, and it's one that's you know, obviously completely unsatisfactory and, and certainly unhelpful from, from my point of view. But um, basically, obviously, I, you know, I was made aware of the allegations on, on, on the Saturday lunchtime and, you know, I, I, I sought to find out as much information as I could. Um, they'd already put out there that there'd been these physical acts. And to be honest, when I received the information, one, one, I thought it was something that, you know, was, was legitimate to, to report so long as it was framed in the, in the right way as an allegation. And then that it came from the club and immediately sought to apply scrutiny to it. And I think everybody can see that, you know, coming a couple of days later and almost a week later as we are, that, you know, a lot of the questions have, have, have remained unanswered now. I can't make anybody answer them, unfortunately. You know, I might be unsatisfied of how things have, have progressed. And, you know, obviously I can understand that this, it's myself and people around me, you know, including Greg O'Keefe, who, you know, was working with to, to chase answers from the police and the club, you know, 
relentlessly through through the weekend and into into Monday. Obviously, it's you know, we've become the, the the target of scrutiny and, and criticism for, for for what happened, and I can understand that. I'm not saying that don't necessarily deserve you know well. I'm not saying that any of that's undeserved, but obviously the 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 way in which this has unfolded was completely was so far outside the realms of, of which you know the world in which you'd expect it to have done at the time you know when when you're hearing this information on saturday saturday afternoon that um it just never crossed my mind that the club would then not be willing to back this up with further information um and obviously we are where we are now where they haven't commented further on it we know that it hasn't been reported to to, to merseyside police um, but they haven't answered further questions on it, and that's obviously their choice. And I, I can't force them to do so. But um, you know, it's been a, it's been a difficult week. Obviously, you know, it's my integrity and it's my name that's kind of you know become the subject of a lot of attention in relation to this. And as I say, I, I can understand why people are asking questions of me, but I hope that just you know trying my best in this job. And it's very difficult at the minute. The, you know, ever a very difficult club to report on at the minute because of the circumstances in which they find themselves. And you know, the, the club are responsible for you know for, for for a lot of that um all i'm doing is trying to approach each situation as honestly and as fairly as i possibly can and and, and doing what i think is is best with a you know as each day comes along and and you know as i say i, I kind of I acted with with honest intentions on saturday and you know applied the diligence that i thought was 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 fair um obviously all this is happening you know very quickly um but after reporting it is as, as i say as 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 allegations, not facts, then kind of led the efforts to then try and apply scrutiny to it to see what more information we could get. And, you know, I think everybody knows where we are now, which is in a very unsatisfactory situation, but one in which it doesn't look like we're going to get any further answers over. So that's, yeah. that's basically what, what's happened. Thanks for that, Joe. Um, Gav, Joe um, detailed that uh, situation very thoroughly for, for us there. I'm not going to ask you and Paul directly to, to speak upon it. And that's not fair. And Joe's um, given his, his piece now. But what it I would say is that it's it's an unfortunate position to be in, given that last season the club's supporters were so instrumental in helping the team in a difficult period to get over the line and, and, and to stay in the division. It's not a particularly healthy position now to be in with, with the supporters and the club where, where that leaves us in, in, in the thick, let's be Frank about it of a real relegation battle. Yeah, well, I'd say a few results on the pitch would help, wouldn't it? Yeah, but that's that's the thing for me is is a lot of this is you know is to me a few results can in terms of the relationship between fans a few and the and the club a few results on the pitch would help dramatically, wouldn't it? Yeah, in my opinion. And, and I've said all along around, you know, machinery and, and all this type of stuff that, to me, it's all on the players and the manager. And I think as part of the healing process, it would help if we started winning a few games. Yeah. The sad thing for me is if you don't win a few games, then this relationship deteriorates, perhaps even further. And then it's just very, the whole thing, this whole... Really going back, I suppose, to the point where Benitez is, is it's all very sad for me as someone who's watched the club over 50 years that yeah. we've reached this point and speaking as a, as a sort of neutral. And um, yeah, I think 
and that, that was exemplified, I think, last last Saturday. But t- to be fair, as we said on Monday, like the fans' behaviour in the ground was respectful and it was it was well stewarded, and it was sad that from 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 in terms of making things difficult for the club is we then have idiots chasing players down, a player down the streets and stuff, and that didn't help. And and, and the whole thing was very sad for me, and and and. Hopefully, we can just find a way in the future of making things start working again. And to me, as we'll probably speak on this pod, it's a win at West Ham might help, mightn't it? Yeah. Paul, um, Gav uses the word sad there, and I think that that's apt, um, <laughs> given that things are so poor on the pitch at the moment for Everton. And obviously, this is, this is connected to this. Um, Mr. Mashiri, the board... The mistakes the owners spoken about, they will have all still have happened if Everton were doing a bit better on the pitch, but I'm sure it wouldn't have reached the point that it's at now. But this is a time now when we've got Evertonians turning on each other and it's just what the club don't need at a time when the team are desperately in need of results. No, no. no I know on Monday, and Gav mentioned it there, you know, a couple of supporters let themselves down with some of the actions with obviously when the players were coming out with the cars. The fans have proven over the years just how loyal and inspirational they are. We certainly saw it at the back end of last season. So, really, at the moment, that's the one constant about the club, the supporters. So, I hope, uh, as a fan base, uh, they and we stick together because it is a truly low ebb at the moment. I know we've had a lot of those in, in recent years and a lot of those in uh, Farhad Mashiri's tenure. But it does, this, you know, someone who's 41 now, followed the club since it was four or five I can't remember. There were obviously bad times in the in the nineties where we very close went to going down. But just the the feeling at the moment, I think it is the right way. What Gav used, there's a sadness. You know, there is a yeah. sadness around the place. Obviously, there's anger, but there is there is a sadness because it doesn't feel like Everton anymore. Uh, no. uh, it, it just doesn't. It just doesn't. It's just it's 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 not something. It's not something you actually enjoy going to the games at the moment. That's a real shame. That is a real shame because it should be. feels not like a chore, but it just feels like something we do uh, when that should never be the case. But yeah, so in terms of the change of the club, I said it on Monday and I'll say it again, the, the person who can action change at this club is Farhad Mashiri and it's up to him. If he wants to change the board, he can do it. If he wants to change the manager, he can do it. At the moment, judging by his, uh, his comments that he made on TalkSport recently, not much is going to change. So we really, really need the players and Frank Lampard to pull some results out. And that's, that's adding pressure to them because really, you know, it's not fair on Frank and, and, and the players that this thing off the field, it's not really got much to do with them. I, I said on Monday, I think that the, the results are nowhere near good enough at the moment, particularly given the, the sides Everton have lost to. But a lot of the problems have come before, but they're kind of coming home to roost now. Yeah. Uh, but this it's like a sticking plaster. I, I remember... At the back end of the last season, it was probably you know when we were when the fans were celebrating. Quite a lot of fans were at the same time saying, "Listen, we've not forgotten that we're still angry at the board. We're still angry at the way uh, the club was being run." And it almost not got forgotten about, but got put to one side. Why everyone was just relieved that the club had survived, and then there was hope over the summer, or even as recently as the Crystal Palace game, hope that better times or a slight improvement were happening. But obviously, that's uh, is deteriorated in recent weeks. Yeah, for now, <laughs> just need to stay up. And the only way, obviously, we're going to stay up is by winning games, which is, which is obvious. But it, it needs to happen. It, we need something on Saturday because uh, 
yeah, the, the longer the results continue to be as poor as they are, it'll only, you know, increase the ill feeling off the field. And like, you know, it, that's no, no one wants this. No one wants this at all. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. It just adds, I, I think, I was thinking about this later on the week and a couple of weeks ago. There's an analogy, I think, with like a married couple living together in a semi-detached, comfortable life, and they win the lottery. And over the next few years, we all know this, they waste all the money, they buy the big mansion, you know, all the foreign holidays and, you know, the flash cars and stuff. And then the money runs out and... They end up like living in like a two bedroom terrace, and the, the you know like tabloid tales of we waste wasted it all, and that, mm. that that damages their relationship, and it's a bit like that at Everton. I know it's not the proper analogy where some of this is, some of this I think is just the frustration of that. It's not worth as if Farhad's money's not worth, mm. and I, I think this is this is like part that in some respects a big chance and a big opportunity is being wasted. I know Jonathan Lou wrote about it in the Independence area on this week, and there's an element to that, isn't it, of, frust- of frustration that we, in in some respects, we've we've had a big opportunity over the last few years, and for footballing reasons, we don't need to go in that because we've got been in going into it many times before. We've wasted it. What we could have achieved that is a different story, but I do think it's it, it's it's sort of like the end game to that process, isn't it, really? And we have to make it, we have to collectively as club and supporters and stuff like that, have to find a way of moving on and working together because the club needs the fans, the fans need the club, don't they? You know, it's, it's, they need each other. Any successful football and club need, needs to do that. And that's why it's sad at the moment. We have to make it work, don't we? Yeah. Um, Gav, you're right. I've read that Jonathan Liu piece after you thought it meant, made a lot of good points and that was very sobering. And uh, but I, I agreed with a lot of what he, he said in there, and a, an issue for um, a lot of clubs who were just outside that that um group of elite, but um, yeah, very sober. Even if Everton were sort of um working to capacity, that they're not necessarily um bright times. Um, so I, I, I get that, and I, I think he's a great yeah. writer, yeah. And I, I totally agree with what he said up to a yeah. point, but I'm just looking at Newcastle this season, yeah who are in the top four in the League Cup semi-final and their revenue is the same as ours. So it's not necessarily, you know... As bleak a picture as he he painted, you mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah, not necessarily. If managed correctly, you can progress. It's just difficult to. I think that's the the issue, though, isn't it? It's not that Everton have not just failed to build on that big investment. They've actually gone backwards. Backwards, And and that's driving, you know, that's driving a lot of the frustration, I would imagine... Yeah, across the board. Yeah, where we obviously stick with football now. Going back to you, Joe. Um, Everton still yet to uh, to make a sign in this transfer window. It's our understanding that um, they went into this window wanting to recruit two attacking um, reinforcements. Um, 
Arnold Danjuma, the, the, the latest name um, in the frame, I've done a piece today um, outlining that our understanding is that, that Everton were one of um, two Premier League clubs um, vying for his signature. And um, it, it, it seems to be the, the, the Bournemouth for the other in, interested um, party. I guess anyone coming through the, the door would uh, raise spirits now, but uh, what are your thoughts on, on this potential deal? I mean, I mean, a lot could change by the time we, we, we go to publication with this. Yeah, a lot, a lot could change. I mean, one thing that probably doesn't is that, I mean, we're recording this at, well, it's now quarter to three on Friday. So <clears throat> one thing that even if Evan do get Dan Juma over the line, yeah, the, the cut-off point for registration for the Premier League to be available for next game is is noon, the, the, the working day before. So unless this has all happened several hours ago, been signed, seen, delivered, and they're just waiting on an announcement to, to be put together, it looks highly unlikely that Everton will have anybody new that can be involved for, for the West Ham game. And yeah, that would mean that we've gone through the full complement of January fixtures without having strengthened for any of them. Um, you know, and I think the kind of the lack of the lack of business is just another element that just feeds into the wider frustration because people rightly look at the situation and go, well, you know, in terms of firepower, we've probably known since Richarlison's gone that, that Everton need need more of that. Uh, certainly once Dominic Calvert-Lewin um, had his injury in, in early August and then even more so, you know, we had the, the World Cup break to prepare for this. Obviously, it's a, you know, all feeds into that frustration. And just, just last thing to say on all that, obviously, I know we've we've mentioned the, the you know, the, the actions of some of the fans outside the ground, the, the handful that were, were chasing after the cars. Obviously, one thing we haven't mentioned, and we, we may well have covered it on Monday, um, was, was the protest that took place after the game. And obviously, mm-hmm. that, that, there was a significant number of people that stayed. And, and you know, that was a peaceful process and, and things like that. That was that, that that was handled very well by the, the people that were involved in it. I thought, and, you know, there, were, there was no trouble in the ground or anything like that. They, you know, they said it was going to be a peaceful protest and demonstration, and that's, that's precisely what it was. Um, which I don't want to get lost in, in amidst all the, the other claims and incidents and statements of, of, of Saturday and that's followed through. But yeah, I mean, going back to on the pitch matters, I think looking at the bottom eight now, as it stands, of the clubs that are currently in the bottom eight of the table, there's only Leicester City and Everton that are yet to make a sign-in. Now, all of those clubs know that you know, their Premier League survival is is you know, will will come down to some of the decisions that they make in this window, and it's significant. And this is January is almost the last opportunity that any club in a difficult or in a very good position has in which they can kind of, if they have any control over how they impact things, you can positively help your cause if you go out and, and bring someone in, which is obviously something you can't do you know, for, for the months after. The Leicester City, it sounds like they're on the brink of bringing in a, a Danish defender for the best part of £20 million. And obviously Everton are... I say fighting by the looks of it for, for Dan Juma, which, which I think would be an initial loan deal. Um, they need it. They, they need the support. We've known that. It's clear. Um, you know, uh, probably quite a number of us hoped that maybe the World Cup break and the chance to then further bed in some of the signs that came late in the transfer window, like, you know, like, like Neil Mope and Idrissa Gay w- would help. But, you know, we haven't seen that materialise on the pitch yet. I think Dominic Calvert-Lewin's return has made Everton better in some respects, but again, you know, he hasn't scored and hasn't led to hasn't led to an improvement in things on on the pitch. And I think it's increasingly clear that Everton need new players. They need Frank Lampard needs his hand strengthened if he's going to 
if him and Everton are going to start improve, improving their results, because one of the things that we've seen in the games we've had already, you know, obviously the most recent one being Southampton, they had two new signings they could call on. You know, they were comfortable enough to not even need one of them when they beat Everton on on Saturday. Obviously, Alcaraz came on, and um, you know the uh, Orsic stayed on on the bench. So, you know, they're all doing everything that they can to stay up. Everton needs to be doing everything that they can. I'm not saying they're not. To be fair, I think it's probably for Everton. Uh, in the transfer window, I think it's less about you know. I, I actually, you know, I think Kevin Farwell has, has been very busy, and I imagine him and Lampard used the time as well as they could in advance to the transfer window to to set up what they could do. But I think they're constrained by by the finances and partly by the position Everton find themselves in 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 the table. It's it's clear that Everton probably aren't as attractive a proposition as they as they they should normally be, and. They probably don't have enough money to there, then overcome any concerns um, that, that a player might have when they're choosing between clubs that are at the bottom end of the table or, or European clubs as well. But they've got to produce some magic, I think, over the next you know ten days or so. Because if they don't bring in anybody in, I think it's going to be a hard job. You know, there's a lot of talent. There is talent in that Everton side, and we have seen that it can work when it comes together. But they, yeah, they, they, they need support. And other teams are strengthening as well. Other teams are down there, you know, doing what they can, spending every penny they can. Obviously, West Ham have just signed Danny Ings, Nottingham Forest, as we've been on this, have confirmed the sign and the Chris Wood. You know, Evan, Evan needs something. Yeah, well, Paul, I'll come to you next. And there's a reason behind that. As all come clear, why well, I'll come to you first before I come to Gav. But um, Dan Jumer, um. You often get a lot of your scouting information from your lad, don't you? I mean, what household and what we what he offers? I mean, he's been in the Premier League once before with Bournemouth, of course. Yeah. Didn't well, score, which was concerning for his time in the Premier League. Did all right when they dropped down into the Championship, but didn't score when they were in, in, in the Premier League. Is he someone you, you know much about? Can you tell us uh, much about? Are you excited by that potential prospect? Well, the ten-year-old in our household, when I told him this morning, seemed happy. So let's hope he knows. <laughs> Football than us, but uh, yeah, I think he, he, his goal scoring record at Bournemouth was excellent. But then you have a closer inspection, and all the goals came in the championship. There's yeah. no, no doubt in the fact that he, he had success at, uh, at Villarreal. I think he's the reason why he's fell out of favour this year is just because Emery's left and the, the new manager he seems to be out of his plans a little. Uh, and, and actually, uh, was, he's been actually linked, hasn't he? I don't know if you guys know as much, but he was. In the gossip columns, for a number of years linked with Liverpool because supposedly uh, Michael Edwards, who was obviously Liverpool's old sporting director, I think he had some links yeah. with Bournemouth. Quite players seemed to make the move, didn't they, from Liverpool to Bournemouth there? Uh, and uh, there was rumours that you could make even uh, make the move over there at one stage. He's what I know of him. He can play across the front line. You know, he's mm. direct. He's got a goal in him. And the Bournemouth fans, as I know, a Bournemouth fan who I spoke to not recently. Uh, but yeah. I know they rated him so highly, and they were, you know, they're really good to see him go. But obviously, the championship was too easy a stage for him. But he's got good pedigree, isn't he? And it's a, mm. you know, it's it's a sign in that it, when you saw it come out late last night, I think Sam Wallace in the Telegraph, because we've obviously we've been covering it all week, but for the first yeah. time, someone put a, you know, someone said I could be linking towards Everton, and then you followed it up tonight, uh, today, Chris. With obviously, it seems like a bit of a two-way fight between us and. Yeah. Bournemouth, you can tell by the reaction that we need something, don't we? You know, yeah. it's like what Gab was talking about earlier. Yeah, first and foremost, we need results on the pitch, but th there is still a lot of unhappy. 
continue, but that doesn't mean to say that we can't still have a bit of joy within it. And like, I don't think signings has proven over the years with our recruitment are not the be all and end all, but it just gives us a little hope because as Joe rightly says, you know, Southampton two players in there, you know, Leeds have broken the transfer record, Bournemouth have got one of the players that Everton was supposedly interested in. It just gives everyone a lift and it's needed. And I know there is that train of thought at the moment that who'd want to join Everton because of, you know, the position in the table, obviously financially things are tough, but just show Dan Juma the scenes before the Southampton game with the coach welcome, show him the scenes before Chelsea at home last year and Palace and Brentford and, you know, you go, yeah, this, don't, he's not, imagine he's not stupid or any player who's interested in if it's right for them. Do you want to come here and, and play in front of those kind of supporters? Yeah, at the moment, there's a lot of unhappy ones as well. But, or go to Bournemouth. I, I don't think this, this if, you, if you're a footballer and you want a challenge, you know, why not Everton? Because God, of, you know, really at the moment, Everton need a hero. They really do need a hero. So, you know, there's a there's a huge chance for a player like that to to come here and, and hopefully be it. But yeah, it's desperately need reinforcements. If we don't get two in by by the end of the window, we will begin to worry just because Calvert-Lewin has made a little difference. But I think against Southampton, you showed that he's still not quite at the level he once was, and that's understandable given the injuries he's had over the last year or so. But yeah, it's 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 just desperate for morale, and the players need it, the fans need it. Frank Lampard needs it, you know, we we just need to get someone in as soon as possible. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Well, actually, make some very good points there about the support because obviously Bournemouth is playing very much in the smallest um, ground in the Premier League, and Villarreal, for all their success, have got um, quite a small support base as well. So I just wonder if the the temptation of playing for those Evertonians will help. Um, Gav, um, like the lads have said, any sort of signing at this stage will, will boost morale and, and it's going to be an encouraging sign. But um, one player I know I sort of um, came to you with this one um, called earlier in the week. Dan, yeah. Danny, Danny Ings, um, you didn't fancy him, but David Moyes obviously did because um, he snapped him up and he could be playing against um, Everton tomorrow. Um, Frank was asked about this in the presser. Yesterday, and anyone who's, who saw Frank Lampard could see that. I think it's fair to say um, he's one who, who Frank might have actually thought could have um, improved uh, the Blue squad. Yeah, I suppose that's why they're managers, and I'm not, I suppose, really. Um, Frank was quite complimentary about him, wasn't he? Really, he was very and complimentary about him. Without yeah. a shadow of doubt, things has been a good pro, just his injury, injury uh, record. As I said on Monday, that I think. When he left Liverpool, two thousand and what eighteen, something like that, six, seventeen, I think he would have made the good sign for Everton. Yeah, and um, yeah, I, but at the same time, it, it, that's it. It's his injury record mm-hmm. and 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 age and stuff. So I didn't fancy him on that basis, but it's there, isn't it? Now, if you yeah. if you can play tomorrow, we all 
we all know what's going on. I think it's out going up. I think it's out on Monday. At least if he signed and that and stop him scoring against us, and now he's t- unexpectedly turned up for our game on the Saturday. So there is a uh, there's a famous two word sentence involving Everton and that which may be uh, yeah pulled out of the pulled out on Saturday, isn't it? Really, if he can be complied, but I, I think this lad from. Villarreal and stuff like that, you know, somebody like that is a far better, far better proposition for me for a large number of reasons. So, I, but, but I can I can only say I, I get I really get the you know bring a couple of players in whatever it's loans or whatever, but football's a, a squad game and we're going to stay up or develop. And Frank by Frank getting the best of out of the 15, 16, 17 players. Who were established in the squad and have been since the start of the season. Hopefully, if you can do that, hopefully the two or three other signings that we hope will come in before the end of the month will be the cherry, cherry on that cake. We, we can't stagnate where we are at the moment, the current squad, and expect two or three new signings to elevate us up the table. That's not going to happen. It needs to get the other 17 and 18 players who are playing regularly playing better than what they are at the moment. Mm-hmm. And Gav mentions Joe that those players need to be doing better than the mo- uh, they are at the moment. We discussed this on Monday, but the fact that for the first time there was that um, support of discontent after the game, there was the planned protest that we all knew about. But you know, this chance of you're not fit to wear the shirt. Um, when I was at Frank's um, press conference there yesterday, because obviously you were off yesterday, but you've seen what what Frank said, and um, he was talking about how he and the players. They can't make excuses. They can't point the finger at anybody else. It is ultimately them who have to take responsibility for these results. Yeah, he's big on responsibility, Frank. Like he, one thing he doesn't seem to shy away from is the his own personal responsibility and his his belief that the players have to take responsibility for a lot of what they do as well. You know, he's someone I think that when you speak to him and when you have discussions with him, kind of in and in front of the camera and and behind the scenes. You know, obviously, we all know the career he had as a, as a player was was mm. was exceptional. You know, he's one of the most prolific goal scorers in Premier League history, um, and obviously, he has a you know a trophy cabinet to match it as a player. But he's he's someone that he's he's one of those players who um, is quite humble with it. Like he'll always say that it was down to hard work rather than any kind of innate talent. You know, it's because he would be the first one on the training pitch and be there for, throughout. And he kind of and he, he kind of you he, he sense that. He expects the same from his players. And you kind of over the course of the past twelve months, you, you, you kind of hear it when you see him respond to other questions, like over, you know, Delhi Alley and what he expects of him. You know, he, again, it's that, you know, that that drive and that determination to be the best that he's he's demanding. And you, know, you see it a lot when people have asked about how to get more out of Anthony Gordon. It's always about more work on the training pitch. You know, how do how do I get more goals? More work on the training pitch. Um, so obviously, you know, I think you know he 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 talks a good game in relation to that, and and doesn't shy away from the responsibility of himself or of his players to kind of go out there and and performing and get the results. I mean, he can't really. I mean, there are the obviously there are lots of mitigating circumstances that, or mitigating factors that make the circumstances in which he's working a lot harder than we would probably all like them to be. Um, but he doesn't tend to blame them. I don't, I don't think yeah. so. It's, you know, it's it's good to see him take that responsibility. Obviously, you know, he can't really say the opposite, but I, I do think he means it when he when he calls on that. So, you know, hopefully, 
those players who, you know, some performances haven't been good enough recently. Um, you know, hopefully they, they will take that message and step up as well because, you know, like Gav says, it can't just be about new players coming in and being the immediate tonic to all the problems, the antidote, the solutions, you know, they, the rest of the, the players are there need to, to raise their levels of performance as well because, you know, after a long way off being competitive at the moment or a long way off being competitive for anything other than a relegation battle at the moment and, you know, they need to find the gains that they can get everywhere, anywhere they can. Yeah. And Paul, you you emphasised the, the importance of, of tomorrow's game. I think everyone is well well aware of that. Um, two teams who, who are out of form, but... Um, West Ham, uh, it's perhaps surprising that they're in this position given the, 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 the players they've got and we've well, got to be wary in that respect. Yeah, I'm very surprised. Uh, I think David Moyes, I think Lampard has said it without giving the game away too much money or embargo pieces for, for overnight, Chris, that yeah, he's yeah. got a massive respect for, for David Moyes. I think he used the word the ments for the job that yeah. he's done. and it's, it's, it's quite interesting, isn't it? Because... We never knew just, you know, how, how well he would have done with that. And probably the first time in his West, West Ham tenure, he actually was. The, the purse strings were really loosened in the summer. <laughs> it's gone badly wrong. Uh, and, you, and it does kind of make you wonder whether he is just a better manager with, you know, not lesser resources or, you know, more modest resources. So it, you look at that squad and it, it is really surprising that, you know, they are in a position that they're in at the moment in the bottom three. Uh it's a big game, isn't it? It's an absolutely huge game. I know every game for Everton is going to be huge now between now and the end of the season because we will not, you know, I just can't see this squad winning four or five games on the run. So you, at very best, like the back end of last season, I think we're going to have to get used to maybe winning one, losing two, drawing one, winning one, and then hopefully get over the line because I think it's going to go to the wire again. Uh, but this is, it's absolutely huge. This, I think after tomorrow, there's a two-week break, isn't there, till the Arsenal yeah, game? Exit, yeah. Obviously, got 11 days, 10, 11 days left of the transfer market. So I know uh, Farhad Mashiri says that we've got to back Lampard, stick with him. But you know, those I think the questions over his future, if we were to lose on Saturday, would you know would intensify really, particularly be magnified or maybe heightened by that break. But as Gav said earlier, you know the the biggest tonic we can all get in the moment is winning football game and trying to be upbeat, you know, beat West Ham above them, get out of the bottom three, and then you can bring in teams up to like 13th, 14th. It is still very tight in there, as bad as it seems on the pitch at the moment. There are a lot transform it. We just, I still think Emmett will be in it till the latter ends of the season, but it, it really could be transformed by a couple of wins. But after the results since the action, after the World Cup, one's it's desperate tomorrow, at least not to lose. Yeah. Gavin, I mean, it's a, it's a relegation six pointer in January, isn't it? And halfway through the season, and it's got to this magnitude. I mean, ironic, really. Obviously, Frank Lampard has his West Ham United links, not just himself, but his father. And there was his own rather acrimonious exit from the club. And he he, he spoke this week. He said, "Oh, that was a a long time ago." But um, for Everton to come up against David Moyes at this juncture, I mean, we can't. We, we've spoken about how Farhad Mashiri is back, Frank, and says that he believes he'll get it right, but. A lot of reports coming out of London that David Moyes could lose could lose his job if he gets a bad result this weekend. Yeah, absolutely. I yeah, just a funny thing you are right about Moyes and his transfer dealings is at Everton. 
his marquee signings, most of them didn't work, did they? You know, BT, Andy Johnson, Billy Neptinov, Yakubu, I was injured. The only one that really did, he spent a lot of money on that work, was probably Fellaini. His, his better signings were the ones that were sort of mid-range type players. And, and, and it's obviously the same at West Ham, but you are right, Chris. And, and, and there's a bit of a difference between... We've we played a few relegated relegation-threatened teams in the, in the past month or two. But this is different to those games because we played Bournemouth with a caretaker manager, didn't we? We played mm-hmm. Wolves with a new manager and Southampton with a relatively new manager. We've not played one with the manager who's under threat himself. Right. And yeah. he's playing at home mm-hmm. as well in front of 60,000 supporters. So, if anything, there's more pressure on Moyes tomorrow. I know this sounds daft than, than Lampard, I would say, mm-hmm. even because he's at home. And they've been struggling. I mean, struggling for the year in the league, haven't they? The decline goes back to the start of 2022. The best performances have been in Europe, even this season. And and it is funny. As I said last night, it is the the football version of Schrodinger's cat, isn't it? That Moyes can both increase <laughs> and decrease his chances of being Everton manager by winning winning tomorrow, isn't isn't it really? Yeah. And um, so it's an odd setup all round. And as you say, quite rightly, what's been lost in all this? All about Evan. Evans pass with Moyes, but Lampard's pass with West Ham. Yeah. You, couldn't, you know, I, I suppose if for many different reasons, if, if you're going to do an Amazon Prime on the lead up and documentary on the lead up to one game this season and the aftermath of it, it would have to be this match, wouldn't it? It's yeah. got so many different aspects to it. It's just untrue. And it, it's fascinating. Um, the bit that's just sorry, not broadcasting, really. It's a good old three o'clock uh, <laughs> kickoff, but yeah. It, it, we've played a lot of relegated te- relegation threatened teams, but tomorrow's difference is that the opposition manager's under threat, and that's, that's not really happened this season. And as for relegation, six pointers in January. I remember going to Crystal Palace in 2004, and it was the second game of the season, and we're calling that a relegation. <laughs> so this is relatively late in the season <laughs> since then. So, yeah. yeah. Oh, there's all sorts of back, you know, setting aside the Everton stuff and really on this week. Yeah. The number of different aspects to this this game is is unbelievable, isn't it? Really, I can't I can't think of anything like this before ever watching Everton. Yeah. Well, Joe and myself will be making uh, the trip down um, to East London, so it's um, predictions time. I, I, I'll get the ball rolling. I I will say um, nil nil. I'm going to go with a, a goalless draw and hope that, that Danny Ings doesn't continue his, his record-breaking um, scoring streak against the Blues. Um, Joe, what are you going to say? Yeah, I mean, I, I just agree with what Gav was just saying there in, in the sense that there are so many potential like narratives that will come from the result of this game and, and, and the 90 minutes that, you know, that, that, that unfolds. It's like you're standing at the beginning of a... It's like you're standing at the beginning of a massive flow chart and you're just waiting to see which one goes, you know, which path you're going to go down. But um, so I, I think what will probably happen is, is a bit like you, Chris, where the one the one result where everyone's just kind of left confused with how to interpret is, is a draw. And I imagine it'll be it'll be that at the end of it. And I, I'll go for, for one one and us making the journey back from East London, trying to work out what that means for... Frank Lampard, what that means for David Moyes, what that means for Everton, what that means for the relegation battle, and probably just going to bed for another sleepless night with no real further answers as to where things are going. Okay, Paul. 
to being very positive there. I was just having a look. They've actually not won in the league since the same weekend that we beat Crystal Palace. So it really does reinforce how out of form they are. And yeah, I, I think Gav makes a great point. It is. There's no new manager bounce here. You know, Moyes, you know, there's not been any reports this week that Lampard, I know, I know his results suggest that he, he is or should be under pressure, Frank. Yeah. But there's real reports about Moyes that he could go if he was to lose this. So there is genuine pressure there. And it's just goes to show like how good recruitment and how, you know, getting things right on the field, you can transform your fortunes because it doesn't feel too long ago since West Ham had those protests when they lost 3-0 at home to Burnley and people trying to get on the pitch. And then obviously within a couple of years, they were getting to the latter stages of European competition, which Moyes and his, uh, you know, his players deserve massive credit for. But obviously it's gone badly wrong this season and it, it, it might be just a chance for Everton to get something tomorrow. And it wasn't too long ago that we seemed to have an excellent record against, uh, against West Ham. So I'm going to go uh, 2-1 Everton. With wow. Danny Ings definitely scoring because yeah. there's nothing much more certain than that. I'm sure they've just signed him for tomorrow's game more than any. D- Danny Ings scoring yeah. in vain, says Paul. Um, yeah, that's what I go for. Wow. Uh, Gav, you're going to tell us. Yeah, I, I was just thinking uh, the last time Moyes took charge of a team against Devon when the job was under threat, we know what happened then, don't we? Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, I suspect if you've offered. Going back to Joe's score, I think if you offer both managers one or tomorrow, they'd probably bite your hand off for it. Yeah. To be honest with you, I think it's yeah, I think after all the hype and all the oh, what you know, Joe's flow chart <laughs> scenario, which I, I I get actually, there is like you could probably get go onto a second page, couldn't you, on this one as well, you know. Uh after all the hype, I think the flow chart will probably go right down the middle, Joe, and not deviate. <laughs> You know, on any plots and subplots, and yeah, you know, we'll end up being a, a one-all draw. And I, I think I'll, I'll go with that. And I think it, whatever happens, it's a game if you're not there to watch from behind the couch, isn't it? Whether you're a West Ham or Everton fan, yeah. and um, it's, it, it, it's a fact. After everything that's gone on this week, it, you couldn't have picked more chaotic. <laughs> Chaotic, multifaceted game to end what's been a difficult eight or nine days for everybody. Couldn't you know? But this, you know, it's, you know, this crisis is not going going away quietly, is it? Really, with this game on Saturday. Right. Well, if you if you um, if you can bear to come out from behind the couch, uh, you can follow the game on the uh, the Echoes Learn live blog. As Joe and myself, we we won't be behind the couch. We'll be there with our uh, binoculars from the, the, the vantage point of the, the press box at the uh, former Olympic Stadium there, now London Stadium. And we'll be back with you uh, next week to uh, talk about uh, all what uh, went on in the capital at, at the weekend. So um, thanks from myself, Chris Beasley, uh, Paul Wheelock, Gavin Buckland and Joe Thomas. This has been the Royal Blue Podcast. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.